we are activating your unique self-discovery one show at a time. The Orchard of Wisdom Self-Discovery Podcast are at your fingertips, just waiting to inspire and invite you in discovering just how awesome you really are and how to navigate through life in joy, enrichment, personal abundance, in mind, body, spirit, heart and soul. All the people we bring you are here to serve you on your journey of life. Do enjoy our next show. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Their Story Matters right here on selfdiscoverymedia.com. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest today is John Taylor. He has a cautionary tale for us. We all make mistakes in life. We all have something that, oh, God, I hope nobody noticed that. When in his case, it got very much noticed and it really kind of brought about some shame, some embarrassment, some disappointment and some choices that he brought to his family and friends and really to uh, himself. And it was a it was a hard one for him to learn because it actually landed him in jail and he pleaded guilty to a human trafficking charge and was sentenced to four years in prison. He was released after 3.5 years with six months off for good behavior. It was recommended for 12 months at a halfway house, um, but received none. Unfortunately for him, the definition of human trafficking in the eyes of the government is very broad. And he is incredibly ashamed of putting himself in the position of being accused of that because it sounded so terrible. What he did not know was several rumors have been circulating that most within the technical diving community, which he is very much in, um, that... uh, People, what people were saying about him was worse than even what was happening. He made a mistake. He had sexual intercourse with an underage girl. Uh, he did not call that trafficking. He was just being ignorant, just being a guy, mixing with the wrong people, doing the wrong thing and not thinking before doing. So it, today is about that story, you know, where you think when you're young that nothing is going to touch you. You think that uh, you can get away with everything. Um And sometimes it's just a question of not acknowledging what you're doing is wrong. And this was a lesson that he had to learn and how somebody, a rabbi in in prison, kind of brought around to him that, hey, mate, it is wrong. Own it. And the quicker you own it, the quicker you can get through forgiving yourself, coming out the other end and getting out there and living a productive life with more knowledge um, in your belt. So, you know, kudos to you for sharing this story today. I know it's a hard one for you to share, but at the same time, it's it is that cautionary tale for other people who think I can get away with it or I'm just mixed up with a crowd. They're all doing it. Why shouldn't I do it? Let us hear your story of how you got entangled in this in the first place. Welcome to the show, John. <laughs> Thanks. How did I get entangled in this? Well, that's that that goes back, you know, uh, a real long way, and it it all roots back to drugs. Mm-hmm. If I'm being completely honest, it, it it roots back to drugs, and I think that there are so many problems uh, that exist, not just here in the United States, globally, mm-hmm. that stem from narcotics. I mean, we we read every day about people dying and yes. as a result of fentanyl. So th- there is one thing. I actually never had sexual intercourse with an underage girl. Okay. That never happened. Um, but you were but accused of it. I was accused of human trafficking. It was actually much more complex than that. And mm-hmm. that's something I didn't know. While I was using cocaine, drinking copious amounts of alcohol, 
and running around, you know, with everyone that would entertain my company, um, it, it just became out of control. I thought I was guilty, worst case, as a misdemeanor. You know, I would, I would use drugs at my home. I would never go out to a public place where a possession charge, mm-hmm. which would be a felony, could come about. And, and because I was, I guess, moderately cautious in one aspect, I was incredibly reckless and stupid in another. Mm-hmm. And um, there are so many people that are living a life on the edge mm-hmm. that are totally ignorant as to the extent of what's actually happening. I really thought my worst case was a misdemeanor. Uh, at the time, I had the resources, and I could deal with that without much fallout. And I, it was just such stupidity and arrogance. Yeah. It was yeah. blinding. Well, I mean, yeah. cocaine will do that to you. <laughs> it, takes, <laughs> it takes reasoning yeah. away, right? Uh, where is yeah. the clarity when you're high, right? And, yeah. uh, and you know, the more you get high, the more obviously you like it, the more excuses you're going to make. And, it's amazing. And more reasoning that's going to exit the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's really amazing. And, and I'll tell you what, prison was probably the worst experience in my life, mm-hmm. but the most necessary. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's the wake-up call, isn't it? You know, I say to people, they get oh. the nudge, nudge, wink, wink, and the tap on the shoulder. But so many people <laughs> ignore that until the cosmic two-by-four comes along. And, you know, you yeah. had a very big cosmic two-by-four. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you know, the federal system is is real tough and going to federal prison while it's not as difficult in certain respects as let's say state prison and this is something i've been told by numerous people um it is just brutal you know you're counted awake four or five times a day i don't remember so it's it's dehumanizing yes and you see all of the wasted talent in prison it's really that's what i think bothered me the most Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, we we look at systems in other countries where they rehabilitate, where they take people into a further education so that when they leave, they can be a productive person of society. Whereas I feel the system in North America is very much, they treat you worse than an animal in many ways, and they expect you to go out and and be criminal again because that's the label they've put on you and, and a label that you're stuck with. So where is the rehabilitation? Where is the learning from the mistake? And where is the tapping into maybe the talents you never knew you had that you could apply when you leave? So the system itself is completely screwed up and needs to be overhauled. You know... There's, I, I agree with a lot of the things you said. I think that, I think the real answer is education. Mm-hmm. Um, and the access inmates have to education is not what it's, not what it appears to be. And I think that's a huge problem. You know, I, I consider a number of people that I did time with friends, mm-hmm. but there's an underlying theme that these guys didn't have the opportunities I had. Mm-hmm. They didn't grow up on the North Shore of Long Island. They didn't have um, a lot of the things that I took for granted and a lot of the opportunities I've squandered. Yes. But there's an underlying theme with your typical drug case in, in federal prison, and it's no education. 
Right. It is consistent and constant. Mm. So that has to be addressed. Now, if you gave that education to them in jail, where they're not being enticed or bullied or, you know, coerced into doing something, you know, in a gang or anything else, you know, where the, Mm -hmm. the temptation isn't there, you know, it's just put your nose to, to the ground here. Um, Imagine, you know, these people coming out and not only having a self-esteem because they've achieved something, having more meaningful purpose, which gives them a direction to go into and giving them a skill that is more employable. Right. Sure. No question. No question. You know, the, and it, everybody wins. There mm. are some inmates um, you have to warehouse forever. Unfortunately, yeah. those people exist, and that's yeah. terrible. Yeah. There, it, it, scariest inmates I came across weren't the street guys, the gang leaders. They weren't. They were actually kind of reasonable and easy to deal with if you showed them a little respect. Right. The scariest inmates were. I'll never forget this. It, it haunts me to this day. This couple at Elkton, FCI Elkton, which is a low security federal prison in Elkton, Ohio. This older man with a long white beard and this other guy in his early 50s would walk around the track, which was a third of a mile, a third of a mile long, and they would justify pedophilia and use the Bible to do it. Oh, God, yes. And that's terrifying. Yes. Um, and unfortunately, there's no, I, I don't see a path to releasing them safely in society. They're going to need, at a bare minimum, constant monitoring. And, and the system does actually offer that. Um, the bigger issue to me is, how do you get, my friend AJ, who's a guy in his 20s, um, I think he was from Wisconsin, never had the opportunities I had. He's a great kid. I taught him how to play chess. He was beating half the pound six months later. Brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, giving him an education is in everyone's interest. Right. Everyone is a winner. Less crowded jails. We can use tax dollars for things other than warehousing people. Right. There's more revenue. It, it just, everybody wins. It makes mm-hmm. economic sense. It, it makes morally, it's certainly the high ground. Yeah. Yeah. Without question. But, you know, as you said, the person who can justify and, and it's, you know, religious fanatics that use religion to justify anything. Right. You know, pedophilia. I mean, you see in certain cultures, children of seven, eight, nine marrying these old people. It is sick. And uh, that is not religion. That is a man-made cult. Right. Right. That it's is sick. not, not yeah. God's intent at, at all. And for those kind of people, and I remember watching a documentary many, many years ago of a rapist meeting the person that he raped. And he first said, I apologize for doing this to you. Understand you did nothing wrong. You did nothing wrong. Yeah. And understand it wasn't even about the sex. It was about the right. power. The power right. I had over you. Don't let me out because I will go and do it again because that's my compulsion. Now, it took a lot yeah. of guts for that person to say that and recognize that. It yeah. released the person from feeling that she had asked for it because most rapists do. You believe you've asked for it. Sure. Uh, but it also talked about really what it was all about. And it was about power. People having yeah. power over someone else. And we have to yeah. understand we've got politicians like that. We've got judges <laughs> like that. Right? And but they're and they're blatantly criminal. 
But yeah. because they have power, nobody is going after them and we're too scared to touch them. I want to go back to why were you charged then with having sex with un, um, underage? Then? I wasn't. Than, it, it was oh. actually a human trafficking charge, which morally might be worse. I, well, um, yes, actually. I, uh, yeah, because <laughs> there are a lot of unfortunate girls that put themselves out there and say they're older and they look older and they dress older. And unless somebody's looking at a birth certificate or a driver's license, they don't know the age, right? So yes, that does happen. Right. And it's and it's two sides of the story. If it's consensual sex on those sides and then you find out they're underage but human trafficking and i've done quite a number of shows of that are horrifying and to be accused of that is like how did that come about but the truth is i have legal and moral responsibility so that came about i was friendly with a drug dealer in gainesville florida he actually i gave this guy a key to my house i have no idea Mm. what was going on when i wasn't there he was the cocaine thing. Drugs. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay, and, and, and God knows what else. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think about it and, you know, I'm not the sharpest guy in the room, but I'm certainly capable of foreseeing all of this garbage. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was drugs. He would introduce me to women. Um, and he was running an underage mm. prostitute. You know, so the charge is actually, um, uh, I, I read this literally yesterday because yesterday an enemy of mine in the technical diving community uh, accused me of being a pedophile. I kind of laughed about it. Um, so the charge is um, trafficking somebody with the intent of committing a sex act, but knowingly traffic something like that but the there's there's almost like an addendum where it says or be in a reasonable position to know so it's because they did it from your house that's put you in the same basket he would come to my house no i I was i was i was more than a customer i was an incredibly Mm. faithful and regular customer they were at my house three or four times a week Mm -hmm. at what point are you an innocent customer Uh like the like the owner of the Patriots, right? right? He was caught in Florida at a massage parlor. Mm-hmm. And there was an effort to attach him to a human trafficking charge. And if circumstance was different, he may have in fact been guilty. Right. But it wasn't. In my case, I mean, this guy was coming over three or four times a week. He would come over. I would cook for him. Uh, he'd jump in the jacuzzi, deliver drugs, introduce me to people. It's, I was certainly in a position to know what he was doing doing i chose not to know right because i'm getting high i'm drinking i I was knowingly willingly ignorant and that was my own choice and you turned the and it's terrible Mm -hmm. yeah i did i did i've seen him pull up in that garage with with people in the back seat i have no idea who they were or Mm. but i was promoting it in a way right yeah i'm I'm but you You know know, that's it where where you quote quote, you know, and don't take offense to this, the rich white kid who thought he was untouchable. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. I was in Gainesville, Florida. I was arrogant. I entered the technical diving community with an incredible amount of arrogance because Mm -hmm. I have a lot of experience. I've been diving since I was eight. Um, So, yeah, no, that's exactly what I was. There's no hiding that. There's no running from that. I I was... you know, driving a nice car. And when I got out of jail, things changed. And and jail was really 
it was such an interesting thing because it gave me the gift of empathy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as a jackass, you know, mm-hmm. and granted, I'm in Gainesville, Florida. It's not Miami, which people call New York South. <laughs> it's the South. And when some jackass from New York drives down in a Mercedes, thinks he knows everything, thinks he can do whatever he wants without consequence, well, let me tell you, that just isn't so. Mm-hmm. It just isn't so. And I paid a huge price for it. But, you know, a lot of people talk about everything that's wrong with the judicial system. And I don't, I wasn't treated unfairly. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think it kind of worked. I think the guy that prosecuted me saved my life. Yes. I think I would be yeah. dead. Right. Today. Um, you know, I've, I've interviewed a few people before that have gone to jail and, and it was always drug related. Um, yeah. And, you know, it was sometimes two or three times before they woke up or because they met that one person. Sure that said the right thing sure. at the right time that shifted their whole perspective, right? Which is very yeah. often the, the bell finally goes off, even though you may have heard it a few times, but finally that was the time that you've heard it and it makes sense. Um, you know, it, it, there's always a price to pay for our choices in life. Always, <laughs> yeah, you know, is. and whether it's jail or whether it's near death experience or, you know, a loss of a business or a loved one or whatever, there's always a price. And so often, and especially if you are in denial, which clearly you were, right? right? Denial, you had a drug problem, <laughs> denial that there was anything going on behind you because you were enjoying the drug uh, euphoria. So everything Look, else I, is I really la, 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 la. To... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, look, I wanted to, um, you know, be Charlie Sheen, but the truth yeah. is, even Charlie Sheen doesn't live that lifestyle. A lot of that's, right. you know, manufactured. Um, yeah. And look yeah, what it cost him, um, you know, and there's always yeah. a price to pay. And, uh, you know, as you said, even yesterday, you still had somebody passing judgment on you. Uh, they know a part of the story, not the whole of the story. And, you know, then the accusations come out out of their own ignorance instead of asking the questions. And, yeah, you have to develop a thick skin because they haven't gone any further than the headline is what I call them. Um, And we're we're really in a state of being right now where so many people are, are just listening to the sensationalism of the headlines and not looking at the content. And uh, all you can do with those people is wish them well and wish them goodbye. Right. Yeah, it's it's you're right. It reminds me of a story I heard um, from somebody I met, one of America's most impressive business people. And he was sitting with Cary Grant years ago, having lunch at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And this fan of Cary Grant's ran over and said, oh, my God, Mr. Grant, I would do anything to be you. And Cary Grant looked up at him and said, me, too. <laughs> His whole, you know, it's just not what we think it is. Yeah, I know. And. Yeah, but, but that's, that is actually what I call society's expectation. Um, we, have, we have for so long now been living on the dictation of what we should yeah. be, who we should be. You know, how much money do we have? What do we drive? Where do we live? Who do we hang out with? How important are mm-hmm. we? You know, uh, yeah. facade, 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 illusion, delusion. Yeah. Right. And really, life is about the inside out job. Who are you inside? What do you stand for? What, you know, what is the, the core compass of your heart and your 
their presence and your essence and how does it help other people that's where we sure. should be living but we've been dictated and sold this bill of goods of this illusion out there that you clearly bought into and so many sure. buy into and uh, and then then wonder why they either turn to drugs to feel anything or turn to yeah. crime or have numerous marriages or broken relationships so you know try and commit suicide so many of those things happen because people are living the disconnect life on the outside instead of the connective life on the inside and you know as you said jail was one that really was a, a place where you discovered empathy where you discovered yourself um where you know where you got real yeah it just um yeah there's no question that that's exactly what happened and even today I'm, I'm dating a woman who it's really the first person I've ever met where I can really be myself mm -hmm. and I haven't been trying to put on this facade and as chance would have it she has a five-year-old daughter mm -hmm. so that's particularly difficult because when I look at her I get a little ashamed you know right. I, I can't help it yeah and that is something that is going to be a time process for you to work through, right? You know, yeah. ashamed of the fact that somebody's child was victimized and you turned a blind eye to it and that's what you went to jail for ultimately, right? Yeah. Um, but here, instead of among the shame... Things. Sorry? Among other things, yeah. Right. So, you know, that's probably kind of that was more... You knew what was going on and you didn't do anything about it, mate, you know, kind of... Um, but, you know, looking at her now, it is, I'm going to do everything I can to protect you from those people right. out there because I now know how to right. recognize them. So it, instead of looking at the other shame, which you can have that for a moment, then put it aside, look at it as I'm now the guardian. I'm now the protector. Yeah, and it's, it's just, you're right. And I certainly, certainly feel that way. Um, you know what to look for. Right, you know how to read the signs now. Where you're yeah. ignorant to them before, you know what they are now. And whether it's yeah. this child or, or, or uh, other children or children that you come across around, if you see something that you feel is a red flag, then you know that you can, in authority, speak to whatever parent about it and say, Look, yeah, red flag going up. What you do about it is up to you. But this is the red flag. And there's always a reason for why we get that cosmic two by four. There is always something that we come out with that not only makes us a better person, but step into our meaningful purpose. And again, I've interviewed with people that have had things happen to them that no human being should ever had happen to them ever in right. their lives. They've not only survived, they've learned to thrive because they're willing to go through the mm -hmm. process of their own healing and who they've become afterwards and what they're doing now to help other people. They said they wouldn't change a yeah. thing. So are you at that stage yet where you're looking at, you know, <laughs> is it still raw for you or are you looking at all the things that you learned from there and how you can apply it to your life now and in helping other people? You know, that's a really, really good question. Um, and I think the answer is a bit complicated. So I think it was in June, I moved back to New York. I'm at my apartment in Brooklyn right now um, from Florida. And uh, I've had a lot going on. I have this incredible woman 
you know, with the with the child. I'm very close with both. Um, I have some issues, old and new, with business that I'm sorting out. So it's both. It's in a navigation. I, I, yeah, I am, and you know, things got so intense that I decided it was best to start seeing a therapist regularly. So I started Good. doing that about a month ago. Good. And it's been a tremendous, actually a neighbor in my building referred her to me. I wanted her to be my therapist, mm -hmm. but she couldn't because we're neighbors. Right. <laughs> Obviously there's a conflict, but uh, that, that was a tremendous, you know, source of help. But you know, when I was first released from jail, my strongest ally was actually my probation officer. Mm -hmm. He was a treasure. He was such a resource and he helped me navigate some just incredibly tough things. And I, because of him, I really, I, I, I wouldn't be here without him. He was great. Yeah. He really cared. But you see, there are those people out there that put themselves in that position because they care. But unless the person who comes out of the situation or out of jail is willing to care for themselves, the caring person can't help them. You've got to care for yourself for some others to help you. And if you still don't care for yourself, no one can help you until you get to care for you. Yeah, I lived in what my friends now call the crack motel when I was released from prison. I lived there for 14 months where so I was rebuilding my life. And I met two women who I really liked. They were in the throes of, of an addiction. And today they're both dead. Ugh. Um, it's terrible. Um, and I, I really liked them. We certainly weren't physically involved. They were who they were. And, but I, I cared for them. And it turns out every single thing I did to try and help them was hollow. If anything, I may have enabled them. You know, this, they had this to, one they girl... had to care for themselves. That's the thing They, you know, yeah. that's, we've got to get there. Like that guy couldn't have helped you. I left you would say, you know, I care enough about myself to receive help. Yeah. Right. And they yeah, weren't it there. Just, it bothers me. Yeah. I mean, I know, and this is why you see an awful lot of people. Your audio is sorry. My audio is gone. Yeah, oh, I, I okay. must have hit. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I must have missed it. Uh, with, and I'm, I'm, <laughs> no I'm going to put it no over worries. this. I don't. My hands don't do the Italian thing. Uh, where did you lose <laughs> me, love? Where did you lose me? Um, about 45 seconds ago. Okay, I was trying so... to sort the problem out on my <laughs> and it was me. <laughs> I should know better. <laughs> so you know what I was saying is that everybody's journey here on this earth is to discover their own self-love, their own meaningful purpose, what is their instrument that they're going to share with everyone else. And that journey to self-love is is a hard one because, you know, we're going to make yeah. mistakes. We're going to, uh, we're going to loathe ourselves at times. Um, you know, we're going to feel ashamed or we're going to want to blame everybody else 
for everything that's going wrong with us instead of taking ownership. But the journey is to love yourself, love your life, love your purpose so that you can share it out with other people. That is what's really important. And nobody can help you until you are willing to help yourself by allowing someone else to help you. And numerous times um, as a counselor in the past of trying to help people that weren't ready is that all you can do is give them space. I'm here when you're ready. I'm here when you're ready. Insert a seed of, of optimism and search a seed of, of, for them to grow. But that is their life's journey, their choice. And if they're not willing to look at it from any other angle, but only from the angle of despair, you can't help them. Because yeah. unfortunately, that is the saddest thing about trying to help people who desperately need us but aren't willing to accept us because they're still in that self-loathing, self-destruction, and not willing to take the journey of discovering self-love. I don't think I've ever looked at it quite that way. Um, I've always been, you know, growing up, I always viewed the world as black and white. But to be honest, that's kind of a cop-out, and it's because it's so easy. The the truth is those two colors are the only ones that don't exist. Everything is gray. Yes. Yes. And and it could be also extremely beautifully colorful. Again, it's it's a choice in yeah. life. Um, you know, what you seed and what you water and what you feed will grow. Well, if you keep yeah. getting weeds, well, stop planting them. You know, we, we have to be more yeah. aware of what we say, what we do, how we think, how we react. And the universal energy will give you what you put out. So sometimes we just have to change frequency right? Which is what you've done now. How was your family in supporting you through this? Was it, I mean, obviously clearly mad at hell at you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So my father was actually a brain surgeon. Um, Before I went away to prison, he was diagnosed with um, uh, dementia and he actually died while I was in prison, but I didn't know. So my family didn't, Thank you. Um, they didn't tell me, which in hindsight was probably smart. Right. So I didn't really, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was good. So I began speaking to my mother. I first surrendered, I self-surrendered at FCI Danbury, Danbury, Connecticut. Um, from there, I was transferred to Elkton, Ohio, where I finished my sentence. So I began speaking to my mother right away. My brother was certainly there for me. Um, an ex-girlfriend named Kathy um, was there for me as well. Um, and, um, you know, a bunch of friends from the diving community were there for me. I was emailing them, you know, speaking to them. Uh, and that was a huge, uh, you know, huge, huge, huge help. A, a bunch of guys that I worked with. Yeah. Um, a bunch of guys that I worked out with every Tuesday and Thursday night to this day um, were there for me as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. my my mother really has a, such a difficult time dealing with the nature and title of the charge. And, yes. you know, it just, it's terrible. There's, it's the worst. I think I would rather be accused of murder. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not kidding. Say that It's just horrible. I can't think of anything worse. And it's, it's really tough to describe. Um, and uh, yeah, it's tough to describe. 
Yeah, because it's so it's really the, the the charge is by association, not the fact that you were doing it, but by association, you were enabling the people um, to do it. I was a part of it. I was enabling. It. I was, you know, this this particular drug dealer. I I have to tell you, at the time, I kind of liked him, and I still don't hate him. Mm -hmm. He had nothing, and and I had. I yeah. felt bad for that. He always wanted to open up a uh, shrimp and crab uh, establishment in Gainesville, Florida. And it was kind of a cool idea. I'm a foodie, so I <laughs> <laughs> kind of liked it. Um, but yeah, it was just so difficult. So she has such a tough time with, with the title of the yeah. charge. And I get it. Yes. And it's you know i do too and uh, you know i was when i was first released from prison i was grappling with this and i just hated it and i was angry and i was bitter and i bucked a little bit so i decided to talk to my po about it and he said john he said look you did the crime you did the time at some point you're going to have to move on he said yes look, your biggest problem wasn't whether or not you had sex with an underage girl he said i read your case i know it in and out there was no proof that you did, mm -hmm. none, zero. Your problem were conspiracy laws. Yes. Because these trafficking charges, conspiracy laws are really used to prosecute, which I wasn't aware of. And I still, having not gone to law school, another regret I have in life, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's tough to me to sort that out. And uh, I, I just, I have to accept it and move on. You know, you have to accept, although the title you know, is um, it's too blanketed and obviously too damning, but it's, uh, you know, accepting your role in it and what the reason yeah. they really did send you for. Uh, but also then also accepting how it was your cosmic two by four, you know, no more drugs. Um, what are you doing with your life? You're throwing it away. How can you be more, you know, empathic? How can you be more understanding? And as you said, looking at the drug dealer, um, kids don't grow up going i want to be a drug dealer one day right right you know they grow up and they fall into drugs because somebody initiates them or it's a way out and it's easy and it's it's the higher up uh, drug dealers that we need to deal with because they get these younger people hooked on it and then they become the kingpins and it's such an easy life for them in a, in the sense of easy money but if they once you start digging up that you know digging that rabbit hole it goes deeper and deeper and deeper and they get so deep they don't know how to come out and for many of them oh i'm going to finance my dream or i'm just going to do this for a while because it will pay for this or pay for that and then again you know the claws come out and uh, it it just sucks them right in but also there's a certain amount of glamorousness to it as well you know, the money, the yeah. power, the, you know, the change, the, the look. Um, and, you know, for many, many people, it's like what I call drinking their own Kool-Aid. And uh, they get caught up in that. So, yeah, we, we you know, we like to gain blanket or drag, drag dealers as evil. And it is an evil act that they're doing because it is life destroying. Uh, I don't know how many oipoyo deaths we have here. Um, more than we had of COVID deaths. Uh, it was just absolutely dreadful in the last couple of years. Um, and uh, yes, there should be some accountability for that, for sure. But at the same time, it's I'm very much into let's nip it in the bud before the bud starts opening up. And, you know, if we invested yeah. in our children and more with the education, more with the support, more with family support, 
uh, and yeah. families being whole or not broken up, you know, kids really learning the way they do learn. The, the educational system is archaic. It has to be overhauled completely. Um, if we were behind our children and raising them up like a village, like a community, we wouldn't have children looking down that road. We would have children following a passion and a desire and an ability. So, you know, you got caught on that top end. But if you look down to the root of everything, of what's wrong, it's the core root that's wrong that we need to get to. That's the the big big weed that we need to dig up before it multiplies and uh, you know the system is wrong and as you said as in jail the system is wrong because it's not promoting um what people can do when they get out it's they get out who are they now what do they do now where do they go now you know <laughs> you know i'd be on the losing side of an argument, if I was to argue, is to argue against your point. I've seen it firsthand. Their education, I'm absolutely convinced, again, it's it's the answer. Yeah. Yes. You have to teach people. You have to give them the skill set. Even English grammar. I spent yeah. most of my time in prison in the education department, which is why somebody with my charge didn't have such a hard time in jail. Mm -hmm. um, people that are charged with this kind of a crime in jail do not do well. Right. Um, I did pretty well because I showed people what real respect was. Mm -hmm. A number of people couldn't balance a checkbook. They didn't understand what an APR is, IRRs, you know, ROIs, these very basic business terms that somebody like me takes for granted. Yeah. It was Russian. It was mm -hmm. foreign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but basic even skills, the right? Worst guys, yeah, but even the worst guys, the, the people that were there for gang-related, you know, crimes that you'd, you'd really kind of cringe if you heard, these guys were very receptive. Mm -hmm. So I think for most people, there is absolutely a path to becoming a productive member of society. Yeah, I'm That's absolutely convinced of that. And I think that, you know, if, we, if we're going to jail people and it's going to cost the taxpayers so much money to do so, put in the educational system that can help them be productive people when they come out and not just have a complete, you know, rotating door where they're back out doing all that they know is crime and right back into jail again. So we're not right. doing society a service. We need to really get behind that education and understand why do people commit crimes in the first place? And, you know, the a lot of the crimes are out of desperation. Um, and, yeah. you know, some are passion and some are that I don't know anything else. Right. So right. let's give them something else to know. Right. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, I had a friend I did I did time with. His name is Greg Taylor. He's this giant six foot six guy, long dreadlocks, an amazing guy. But we shared the same last name, but mm. we looked totally different, except for our lips. So the joke in jail was Greg was my actual father, and my mother had an affair with Greg. It was running around. <laughs> it was hysterical. But Greg today is out. He's doing incredibly well. He's dating this amazing woman, and. I couldn't be happier for him. He's a winner. He's a guy yeah. that made the best of the situation. Right. I yeah. think that more people, I think we have to incentivize people to put themselves in that position. Yes, yes. And I think that 
you know, I did a show a while back um, on somebody passing a law, I think it was in Massachusetts, of um, anti-stigma. And otherwise, you couldn't stigmatize against person who had come from jail that they've they've done their crime, they've served their time, and now you cannot deny them a job or deny them this or deny them that based on that. So it was an anti-stigma um, and, and protection for people that had come from yeah. jail, etc. And this is, you know, you, you, you've done your time, you've served your time, but when you come out, the label is still on you, right? Sure. And so for many people, um, you're educated, you've got... Um, um, gumph about you you know you're going to get your life back in order um but for a lot of people who don't have that ability or don't have that support on the outside or who haven't learned skills on the inside they come back yeah. out and go i don't know what to do i don't know you know they're lost in the wind and it is um, yeah. and this is where we need to be there there needs to be that transition not a crack house a transition <laughs> of uh, <laughs> of you know what skill can we teach you yeah. That to get you into the job problem with, without still prosecuting you or persecuting you for the crime you did. You served the time. Blank slate. Start again. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, one of the issues uh, that I saw within the prison system, for instance, at um, Danbury, I believe there was a culinary program which is great. I'm, as I mentioned, a foodie. I love food. I'm obsessed with it. I chefs are my celebrities, you know, <laughs> I don't really care who's making the movie. Um, but you had to be, you had to have five years left on your sentence or more even to be eligible. That to me doesn't make much sense. Um, to be eligible for, would, for what? To enter into this culinary program. But so if somebody is only in for a few years, that means you never can enter. That's right. That's exactly, wait, wait, wait. Who exactly came up right. with that one? That's if somebody's got a lower question. sentence, get them in something straight yeah, yeah. away. Get some education under their belt straight away. That exactly. that doesn't. Yeah. So you couldn't be. You are a hundred percent right. What do you it do with make the sense. guy that's been for four years? That doesn't make sense. But you know, one of the things that's definitely wrong with the, especially the American system, is that it is no longer federal. It it is independent. It's, you know, it's, it's prison for profit. Um, and, you know, it's um, far too much money, you know, of getting people in jail because they make money for how many people are in jail rather than the rehabilitation. And I think, again, system is wrong. System is broken. The system needs to be overhauled. We want, we want people who, who need to be in jail to be in jail. Sure. Um, sure. But we also want to know the people that have made the stupid decisions in life and now in jail, that you come out to being able to leave that behind, being a better person with, you know, that purpose and productivity to move forward. And if we are treating criminals as criminals all the time yeah. and not as human beings with potential and showing them what the potential could be and how they can access that potential, then, you know, what are we doing? You know, it's it's the system is is broken that needs to be changed. And it's like, as you said, under the human trafficking, immediately people think of underage kids being sold. Again, I've done shows on on that quite a bit. And and it's it's the wrong title. It was the wrong title, but they blanket. Right. Yeah. You know, the night before uh, 
the FBI and local authorities came banging on my door. This is how bizarre the world can work. I was laying in bed, staring up at the ceiling, and my heart was beating so fast, I could see it through my polo shirt. Mm -hmm. I could see the skin move. And I was staring at the ceiling, thinking something has to change. This is, I'm, I'm not going to survive this. Literally the next day, everything changed. Yeah. Yeah. Was that the kind of change you were thinking of, though? Oh, God. <laughs> it certainly wasn't on my terms. Right. Okay. When, when I said change, I meant nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah, what exactly. Do I wanted this, this, and this. <laughs> but was, again, you know, the universe rough. gives you what you, you know, what you need to wake up. I mean, you know, that's, uh, you were there for a reason, not only to change your lifestyle, um, to become aware of the choices, but I think also to learn from the inmates you know, of yeah. that they are human beings who've made foolish mistakes and to understand why they've made them. And as you said, there are certain yeah, people yeah, yeah, yeah. that jail is the only place for them because you can't let them loose in society. Um, but most people, and what we're seeing so much today, uh, it's a different pandemic altogether, is on mental health and uh, yeah. the stress, the anxiety, the depression, leading to violence, leading to suicide, leading to crime. And we, uh, yeah. people are just blanketing them all as, you know, just people yeah. doing acts wrong instead of understanding the why behind it. And that's an, a whole nother area that we need to really look at and understand what we need to do about that. Because uh, I don't think people kind of just go into crime. I'm going to commit a crime. Oh, you've got that. Yeah. What we've had here lately, which is quite disturbing, and I think it's come about a lot because of COVID, um, we've had a lot of teenagers, especially girls, stab people to death randomly. And yeah, it, I've read something about that, and that's, I don't know how you explain that. I don't either, because it's, it's like, you know, one group in Toronto, uh, the girls all met online. They were all different. Three 13-year-olds, three 16-year-olds. And they, they went out and they stabbed this one homeless, I don't know if he was homeless, but he, he, a guy that was trying to protect his friend from, because they were trying to steal her bag and they literally just stabbed him to death. And it's like, what is in that mindset of a 13 and six year old, a 16 year old? We had it at a local park where my daughter takes her son to, you know, to play. Tourists walking the wall, teenagers just stabbing him to death. Somebody sitting on a bench feeding the birds and it's they're all teenagers and mostly girls and it's like what is going on here and we have to gain i think this is the outside living affecting the inside decision making and we're we're so busily sensationalizing and people are so yeah. desperate to feel i just want to feel something i just want to feel something that they're looking for it on the outside not on the inside and where they can't find the love or the sex and the drugs isn't doing it, they turn to the crime to feel something. I, you know, I, it's bizarre to me because, first of all, no one would ever think that these things happen in Canada. Oh, right. I know. <laughs> My father, I don't know if you know this, but he grew up in Montreal and mm -hmm. he had a very, very young life. He went to McGill University. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you're familiar. Yes. So one of the big things, I think, generations younger than than mine they they lack hardship mm. um and i know many many people have said that yeah but 
it's almost like they're entitled to an iPhone and the latest yes. and greatest. Yes. And and the headliners, the shallow. Because yeah. you know they've they've, they've they, as you said, they haven't walked, you know, in their pajamas through the snow to school. Right. And the entitlement has made them shallow and, uh, and quick to anger and quick to judge. And, you know, a lot of that is the social media, again, demanding people live this delusional life which you know when they finally do wake up they realize it's so empty that there is absolutely no substance in it at all it doesn't matter if you have a trillion likes you know uh, <laughs> is there anybody there with their arms around you at night loving you or you just prefer the trillion likes you know and it's um that is where we're too scared to go in and uh, it, yeah. we can't escape that. We're all going to face it somewhere along the line, nudge, nudge, or cosmic. We're all going to face it somewhere along the line where we've got to get real with ourselves. And that means looking in. Do you like who you are? Do you like your uh, decision-making? Are you trying to escape who you are? Um, you know, or come face to face with it. So, you know, as you said earlier, you're kind of still in the process of doing that. But what, what would Absolutely. you say is, you know, something you've definitely learned about yourself that you do know right now? <laughs> That's um, an interesting question. I've always tried to hide the fact that I'm kind of an emotional person. Mm -hmm. I, I always like to be the pragmatist and somebody who appears to be unshakable. Um, and uh, I've been very successful doing that, but the truth is that's not accurate. Mm -hmm. And that's something I've learned. Um, I'm, I'm an incredibly effective problem solver. In fact, I can't tell you how many people, um, I, I posted something about my situation on Facebook a while back and the number of people that sent me emails and private messages and, and publicly came out was shocking. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm just so tired of running from myself. Yes. And that it's okay to be vulnerable. That's actually one of the greatest gifts you could give yourself is your emotional vulnerability because you're, it's your honesty. It's just a question of putting yourself in a safe arena to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's one of the things that is just so bizarre about this wonderful woman I'm dating is that, you know, she accepts me. She's not perfect. I think she is, but you know, I'm far from it. Um, you know, about my situation, we were uh, heading out when we first met months and months and months ago. And I said, listen, before we go any further, I think I need you to read this. And it explained it. And she looked at me and she said, look, okay, obviously, um, obviously you really screwed up. Yeah. <laughs> She's Dominican. So she called me a gringo and a couple of other things. And that was great. <laughs> but, um, but it quite you know, like a it, duck. It's a duck. <laughs> <laughs> right. But um, it was just great to be able to expose that. Yes. And own it. Own it. Really you know. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really significant for me. Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of people, whether it lands them in jail or not, a lot of people make decisions that they then feel ashamed of. And they're so scared 
to reveal that shame they feel about themselves that they go too far into themselves and they never let themselves out right and it's and i think again the greatest gift you can give yourself is again that vulnerability i screwed up i wasn't yeah. paying attention i was too much into the enjoyment of the drugs that i was la 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 that everything else around me and i've paid the price for that but what did i gain from it because life happens to you for you it's for yeah. you to discover what you need to learn from it it's for you to discover who you become because of it that's this where your choice you don't always choose what happens to you but you can change it around happening for you and again the, you know, the people that have interviewed that have gone through horrific things have always said they wouldn't change anything they wouldn't want to relive it <laughs> but they won't change it because of who they are today uh in your opening up to your emotion and your vulnerability and just empathy understanding and and also understanding that you are a person who's really able to see problems and help unravel them you know this has kind of been the gift that's been given to you yeah i you know it's funny because i wouldn't change a thing like mm -hmm. i am kind of grateful for the prison experience mm -hmm. and i wouldn't change a minute of it yeah. I needed it so bad. Yeah, who's that reset? Yeah, and and the people I met, some of them were fantastic. Um, I just can't wait to see them again. Yeah. Because we went through something that was very difficult. It's impossible to accurately explain what doing time in prison with someone mm. is like. It's the only thing I can say is a relationship that we have here on the street is a la carte. If I'm disagreeing with my friend, Bob, we can chill for a couple of weeks and then it'll all work itself out. In prison, you don't have that luxury. Right. So you're forced to do it immediately. You're on top of each other constantly. Mm -hmm. So you have to deal with it. And that can bring upon some pretty ugly things and mm -hmm. some real positive things. Well, it can really reveal who you are by your reaction. Right. Yeah. And but it also can really reveal who you are in a way that you never saw yourself before. True. So, you know, the revealing of who you are when we're in situations that there is no time to think it is feel and act. Um, that really does reveal who you are. And so when when we can see ourselves in that way and go, I gosh, it, that actually is a strength. Oh, uh-uh, that was a weakness. You know, if you're forced to address it. You're forced to do yeah. something about it. Whereas we're in the outside world, we put things off. We ignore the, those little signs, those little things. We don't pay attention to it. So it's microed in, uh, in prison where you have to address it right then and there. Yeah, it is. And, and, it and really you, you don't want to piss off the wrong person. Because the last thing you want to do is make an enemy out of someone there, right? Yeah, you have no idea. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it, it can be horrific. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you, you said in your piece there that there's this rabbi that you spoke to, you know, that sure. kind of gave you an epiphany moment there. So how about you share about that? Sure. So... You know, it's it's really difficult for me to accurately articulate 
the feelings I have for this man. But he was so wise, so kind, so gentle, but yet wouldn't let you off the hook mm -hmm. at the same time. You know, I I've always been told that a real friend tells you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Right? Exactly. And Rabbi was that guy, but he did it in a spiritual way, mm -hmm. which is so hard to accurately quantify. Mm -hmm. But um, I just love the guy. I mean, I can't wait to talk to him at some point and see him again. He was brilliant. And he wouldn't let me off. And we would sit and, you know, study scripture. And um, one particular book, uh, it's a two-volume set called Duties of the Heart. It, it really changed the way I looked at other people. And I think that's what really that that experience with the rabbi and we didn't spend a lot of time together because i was transferred to ohio after a few months at danbury i think i was there five or six months plus a, a three three month stay in solitary confinement and that was rough yes <laughs> um but the time we spent together was so valuable i think about it every day yeah that is a huge gift because the in a, in a lot of ways, it sounds like he set your compass. Yeah. He, you know, he said, God, there's a reason why you're here. Yeah. It's your responsibility to figure out what that is. Mm -hmm. um, and that was an underlying theme that he always impressed upon all of us. Mm -hmm. And he's right. You yeah. just, you have to take a bad situation and, and make it a good situation. And we, you know, it doesn't matter how, how, to what extreme it is. We all go through situations in life that are bad. Uh, you know, yeah. how are we going to get through it? What, who are we going to become because of it? What are we meant to learn from it? Um, and, you know, you, you can be in a situation and think, oh, gosh, how am I going to move on from this? And it's like, stop and pause for a moment. Look back. Look back yeah. a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, and look where you were then. Look at the situations that you've got through. Look at how strong, how much stronger, how much more courageous, how much more ability you have, right? Each step of the way, you know, and when we get stuck again, it's purely a pause to reflect and then to redirect. Yeah, it, it really is. And, you know, I've been out for a little over two years now and I'm a lucky one. I've, I've rebuilt a good life and I have a bright future. And uh, I'm certainly going to have, you know, some headwinds because of the nature of the charge. For instance, yes. Canada is a country I have a very difficult time getting into. Mm -hmm. And I have family there. Um, same holds true for the UK and Australia mm -hmm. and New Zealand. Japan, um, all places I would see myself wanting to go to, if not for business reasons at some point in the right. future. But it's going to be tough. Yes. Yes, um, because there's some things that travel with you forever. Is there a time period when then finally it's erased? There are various mechanisms that can help with that, but I'm really unclear. A lot of it's very vague and it appears to be very murky. Mm. Um, I've discussed this with uh, a friend of mine who's an attorney and he said, look, our first goal is simply going to be to get you off of supervised release. Mm -hmm. um, and he thinks that will happen early. And 
I hope it will, um, but we'll see. Step by step, right? And uh, you know, it's it, it's it's plant. You know, plant your own garden before you worry about anybody else's, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and grow what you need yeah. to grow. Um, you know, and the cautionary tale of all of this is that. If it looks too good to be true, you know, there you've got your your drug addict, you know, your drug dealer literally in your home providing yeah. your drugs and and you just not paying attention to the cost of those drugs beyond the money, right? And uh, yeah. how many people do you know that really, as I said, you know, you were the, the delusional, untitled white man who got caught? And how many others do you know like that, that... Uh, their day is coming if they don't wake up. The number is substantial. I think it's bigger, but I think the bigger concern is people that are being led astray or mm. or or subjected to methamphetamine, heroin, um, fentanyl, this terrible stuff at an age where you just don't know better. Right. I knew better. You know, when when I started using drugs, I was. 17, 18 years old, but there but are people why did out you there that are, Before we go into the, the, the people on the fentanyl, why did you, why did you start? Was it peer pressure? Were you were experimenting? Were you trying to substitute something? <laughs> All of the above. Um, the first time I ever used cocaine, my cousin gave me a little vial of cocaine in my grandmother's, uh, at my grandmother's house on Long Island. And um, I haven't talked to this cousin in a long time. Um, but yeah, that was the first time. So, uh, um, was it just a come on, come on, give it a try, you know, don't be such a dweeb, you know, you'll like it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly it's, right. Yeah. And it, I, honestly, it, it, I get angry when I think about it. Yeah. I really do. I mean, you know, whether it's drugs or whether it's alcohol, you know, there's always somebody that you look up to and you think is cool. And they're inviting you to be part of the pack, but you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And you know you shouldn't because you've been taught all your life, don't do drugs. And it's like, but if I don't do it, I'm not going to be cool in their eyes. Right. And so the peer pressure and we, we don't look at peer pressure as being something that really is it can set people on the wrong path for the rest of their lives. Yeah. You know, and, and I think this is going to sound horrible, but I think parents that are totally overbearing mm -hmm. and forceful and almost threatening contribute to that mm -hmm. substantially yeah um, you know mother is a fantastic woman but my father he was a great guy but you know at eight years old I was being called a parasite I didn't know how to spell the word at eight years old why were yeah, you a parasite just, I have no idea that's just he so my father you know came from a, a ghetto or a slum and in Montreal, Canada, had no money, had to, at one point, literally fight his way, and eventually ended up at McGill University. He eventually became a brain surgeon, as well as an engineer in several wow. fields. So his answer was, right, exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, his answer was education and discipline. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I was a kid, I was, on Saturdays and Sundays, we were forced to go uh, and study mathematics rather than go out and be kids. Right. Um, Which is that, so that, wrong. <laughs> right. You have to let 
kids be kids. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to screw up and your job job is to guide them. Yes. So I resent that hell out of my father. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, yes, kind of a lot of, a lot of things we do is to piss off the parents. Right. Right. Yeah. And, And I see that pattern. And at the same time, I'm angry with myself for for falling into such an obvious trap right exactly and you know back to the fentanyl and things like that is that the real criminals are those that are spiking the fentanyl you know with drugs that are absolute Absolute. killers and um yeah those people you feel like you know um jail and throw away the key because it's purely about profit and uh um man manipulation and the amount of deaths that we're seeing i interviewed one guy who started on fentanyl and they became so addicted you know gun under his pillow uh you know yeah. um people driving up to his house and him having to escape and and eventually he came out of it and everything else and then you know um i think went to jail and you know he now speaks at schools against fentanyl and the dangers of it somebody else with uh on fentanyl after an operation and unable to get a 20-year addiction to it, right? You know, and it's the things that it will make you do. And we don't realize how addictive things are. And if people are emotionally dealing with some pain and the drug takes away the pain for a moment and then they come back into the pain without the skills on how to deal with the pain, what are they going to do? Take the drug again to avoid the pain. Of course. A vicious so cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so obvious, but even the smartest of people fall mm. victim to it. Yes. Yes. They do. And you know, it for you know, it's it's made fashionable and it's made sexy, you know, by the movies and the media, right? And uh and again, just like these kids that 13 and 16 stabbing people to death, what is missing in their lives that they're so di- disconnected? to heart or yeah. soul or spirit that this is their only way out that killing someone is their drug of choice uh so we've we are at a stage in i think in human society right now where the the pendulum needs to swing where we actually sure. say to live and come from heart to come <laughs> from the heart and everything that you do is not a weakness it is your strength because when you do everything from the heart, you're doing it honestly and truthfully. You're guided very much by your soul wisdom. Your spirit is always in positive action and your mind will know what it needs to know when it needs to know it. So I think that the more we can get people to open up the heart, even the painful things that we feel with a breakup or you know, parents not loving us the way we want to do, all of that, even a broken heart is something that is the most valuable thing that we can have, the heart. And when we come from the heart, we can't knowingly do any harm to ourselves or anyone else because it hurts us. So I think we have to ignite the heart a great deal more. And and your journey is to really discover your heart and come from the heart and not look at emotions as a weakness, but as a gain. It's a really difficult thing to do when you've been living, you know, such a long time. Yes. Viewing things in terms of strength and weakness in a fictitious way. Yeah. And that's that's the where the problem is, right? It's uh it's we're living very much a fictitious life. Um your father's well, I only got here by discipline and work, and you're going to do the same. And instead of him looking at I've worked this hard so that you could have 
a life where you can be the kid or you can explore your own journey. You know, it was, it, it worked for me. Why shouldn't it work for you? But we're each and every one of us are different and we've all got our paths to take. And in that discovery of that path, you know, we're going to trip and fall. Uh, and really what a parent's role is, we're custodians of our children. We don't own them. They're not our property. And we're here to, to teach them, guide them, and love them along the way. I've got many gray hairs on my head with my children's names on it. <laughs> Believe me, I have three. And there's oh, a wow. lot of names up there. And they put me through the ringer. But at the same time, they also came back from bad decisions because of the love and the, yeah. they realized that the love was so much stronger than the wrong decision and that all I could do I could say to them I love you to bits but I hate what you're doing right now and be open about it it's your choice I can't condone that I can't have anything to do with that but I love you and when you're ready to come back to that love I'm here and very hard <laughs> as a parent very very hard as a parent to see your child take a road that you don't, you know, is destructive. A great deal of white light, white light going on them all the time. But they have to take that journey for them to actually understand truly what the love is and what really is important. Yeah, it's, you know, when I look at my girlfriend's daughter, I am absolutely terrified. I, I can't think of something in my life that is scarier than her. Why? Her, of the things that you've just mentioned mm. um i just want the best for her yeah. and you know we luckily got her into a blue ribbon charter school which was quite simply a miracle mm. um and so things are going well but my god she i just look at her like she's the hope diamond mm -hmm. you know she's a treasure and it's terrifying but the it's more absolutely. that you educate her, you know, that to come from love, to do everything from love and to look at people who make wrong choices, to look at people who are in difficult situations, not to sugarcoat it, but to see it for what it is and have compassion for those people. Not only will she not want to make those choices or more make different type of choices in life because we don't get through <laughs> life unscathed. We all make some wrong choices, but it the more she has empathy for people who are simply making the wrong choices because they don't have a, a feel the heart, they don't feel loved. Why do we go and search for these things on the outside? It's when we don't feel love on the inside for ourselves or we don't feel loved. When we are love and we feel loved, then we want to do loving things, not destructive things. The destruction comes from not feeling worthy, not feeling loved, not feeling anything. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. As somebody who has had every single negative feeling you've just mentioned, I absolutely agree. The the drug I didn't use drugs to feel great. I used drugs to feel nothing. Yeah. Because that was better than feeling. Yes. But now you scary. know that that feeling is wonderful if you immerse yourself into it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. I mean, even, even you know, I'm an empath, you know, and then sometimes things are going on around me or in the world and oh, it's overwhelming. And I've suffered great depression in my life because of it. But at the same time, yeah. it's that I rather have that feeling than apathy because yeah. I've been there too. And that apathy of not feeling anything, just an empty soul is so much more despairing than actually feeling too much. But I prefer the balance in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I think I understand what you're saying. Um, yeah. It's just it's, you're, um, you're navigating through the balance right now, right? But I really am. Yeah. So I, I do go back and forth a lot. And, you know, tonight um, I'm going to pick them up and we're going to go to like a cool dessert place and, you know, restaurant that's very popular uh, and it's kid friendly. So that's good. And I'm really looking forward to that. And seven years ago, eight years ago, it wouldn't even be something on my radar. Exactly. You know, it would just be it, it would it's something so foreign to me. And now it's like, OK, is the child seat in the backseat of the Jeep? Yeah. Uh, OK. Yeah. I have to call it this time so we're not late. Like yeah. all of these little things I'm yes. experiencing are so new and they are scary. But no, look at them, it's exciting. Take the word scary out of it. Remember, <laughs> words have energy. So take scary, be yeah. aware. Be aware, right? That what you're scared of is what could happen. Be aware of what could be happen, but don't be scared about it by being aware you can actually re-steer in the other in other direction because words really do have energy. My son is 38 and he's, um, he and his girlfriend have just bought a house together and she has an eight-year-old. Oh, and cool. he has stepped into being the stepdad and, you know, getting his hair made up, makeup on, doing dances together, you know, and he right. has just he's just stepped right into the role. Would he have been ready for that two or three years ago? I don't know the right person and ready for it and then it's like you know okay she's she's my stepdaughter and she's a part of my girlfriend's life so therefore she's a part of my life and I'm just going to immerse myself into into this life right it's exactly what I've done and I don't regret it for a minute I just don't want to screw up that's I think I'm I'm really scared of myself but that is because you're basing yourself on past actions instead of being aware of them. It is paint your canvas of how you want to see it. Don't paint okay. your canvas of how it has been. You right. you know, you that know you're never going to be your father because you have too yeah. much love and empathy, right? You no. know that oh, there's dangers out there. But you yeah. know that the what the dangers are. So those can be inserted into the canvas of be aware of. Anytime you see yeah. this happening, talk to me. It's safe to talk to me, right? And it's like teaching about kids. Don't get into white vans, right? The more that they're aware. I, I had my kids at the age of two and three uh, do a sex education thing where a woman came in and she talked about, now this is a vagina, this is a penis, it's yours. Nobody can touch it. At that age, I had them do it, that nobody can touch your body against your will. And the kids grew up with that. And it's sad that we have to teach them that so early. But in doing that, it's my body. They knew that right from the word go. Our kids are sponges. They can take so much, but don't let them take your anxiety because they won't know what you're anxious about. And then they'll think it's them. So share the awareness but not your anxiety. I like that. That's really, really, really good. They Um, feel things that they don't know how to articulate it. Yeah, that's, I've noticed that. And the one thing about my girlfriend's daughter is she's really, really smart. And she knows that I'm a complete sucker and fool. So (laughs) she knows how to manipulate me like no one's business. But then again, (laughs) you show her where the boundaries are. You can push yeah. me to here, 
this is the sign that you don't go any further because the more we teach them boundaries, the more they learn to place the boundaries upon themselves and the more they respect the boundaries that are around them in life. Yeah. Not yeah, borders, boundaries. Not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it, a lot to think about. And the thing is, you know, as you said, you're still kind of raw coming out of your experience. You're rebuilding your life. You're taking everything that you've learned. But it's also, I'm glad you're seeing a therapist because there's still a great deal that you need to deal with with your dad. And he was still yeah. kind of a lot of the driving force to your own self-destruction and your own escapism. And it's like releasing that. He did what he knew to do. As I look at my parents and they, they did the best they could based on what they knew. And they did better than what their parents did. Right. So, you know, it's sometimes we have to just forgive and release and not become. Because the more we look at that, the more we then become them. And we don't want to be that. As my mother said to me, you've brought your kids up the way you want to be brought up. And I'm full of cuddles and kisses <laughs> <laughs> you see my poor grandson he gets devoured <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they know that of me love gotta share it you know gotta give it um because that's what's important and it it gives them permission to be, express who they are the way they are as well so continue on your journey in, in your self-discovery and we're we get to a stage where we feel we really know it's ourselves and we really feel good with ourselves, but never become complacent because tomorrow there's always something else to discover about ourselves. And we do that to the day we die. Yeah. But remember what yeah. you seed and what you water is what's going to grow. You want fruitfulness to grow, plant those seeds and be careful of the words that you use because those words have energy and you want the right words there. <laughs> yeah. I, I wholeheartedly agree. So the moral of the story yes. is this, is that you chose to be unaware of what really was going on and it cost you. And it's like, if you're going to go into these situations, really be aware of everything and what it can cost you. Is it worth it? You know, it, it, it's, it's that it's a little more and I'm, I'm trying to be, I don't want to let myself off easy. I need to take mm -hmm. responsibility. So yeah. what I did was I went to a community uh, in Gainesville, Florida, joined the technical diving community, and I created a path of disrespect and destruction mm -hmm. personally and was around me. And um, there's no excuse for it. There are a number of divers that want nothing to do with me, and I respect their decision, and right. I don't even disagree with it. Right. Fortunately, there are a number of people who are willing to give me another shot. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I'm grateful for that. Yes. But what I did, I mean, there, there are innocent people out there that were absolutely hurt directly or indirectly from my actions. Yeah. End of story. That's yes. what happened. Yeah. And I paid the price and I'm still paying and that's just. Yes. And, but, but again, it's the fruitfulness that can come from that because everybody deserves another chance, especially when the intention comes from the heart, when the intention <laughs> is pure. Because when it is, I am going to rebuild my life. I am not going to take that path. I am going to be aware. I am going to give back to society. Already you're feeding something that is fruitful. And by doing this show, and I know it's your first podcast, 
doing the show. <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> I hope not. Um, but in doing the show and being open and honest and willing to share, that takes a great deal of courage, but it's also a part of your own healing. But it also is for other people that may be going through this transition or have sure. to face something or are on the verge of it. I had a, a message from someone today that listened to one of my shows from years ago whose daughter's going through the same situation and just that piece of advice could save her life. And you never know of what you're saying here today could be something that makes it, you know what? Yeah. Who am I getting my drugs from? Uh, why am I taking these drugs? Uh, who am I associating with? Why am I running from myself? Because that's what you were doing. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And when am I going to find the strength and courage to face myself? And who do I need to help me to do that? If any of those questions come up today from anybody listening, and we can't dictate how they listen or what they learn from it, but hallelujah. And that is just, you know, keep doing the podcast, keep receiving your own help <laughs> and just keep on the journey. Yeah. But mind the words, right? Remember. Words have energy. Don't put yourself down. You've already been there, done that. That's what got you into trouble in the first place. <laughs> it's about building yourself up now. And it's about taking that journey of, I've learned this very good lesson. How do I apply it to make my life better and my life better in other people's lives? Because that's really what it's all about. You know, you've, been, you've really been a tremendous help. I appreciate it. I apologize. I have a sore throat and I need to take another COVID test before I go out tonight. <laughs> um, that's but, okay. Um, yeah, no. that's why my voice is a raspy. That's okay. Um, but hope you don't have it. Just gargle with salt water. That helps. <laughs> I um, took a test this morning. It was negative. So, no, good, um, good, good. Stay that way. Forward. Stay that way. Um <laughs> For people who want to reach out and have a conversation with you, ask questions or just follow you, I know you, all you have at the present moment is a Facebook, but how do people find you? That's probably the easiest and best way. Um, I do have a LinkedIn. I'll send you a LinkedIn profile. I'll send you my Instagram and Twitter um, as well. But is the Facebook the one and that you're more in involved with right now? It's so easy because I haven't silenced the notification, so I get it constantly. <laughs> um, and it's it's really how I communicate with divers and other divers. It's it's really has a lot to do with diving. And, and of course, uh, uh, I mean, you've gone back into your diving community, which you are lucky to be able to actually go back into yeah, your your world of um, you know of diving, which you you know couldn't do before. So. You know, that's really, <laughs> yeah. So that's really, really important. So, what word do they use? Um, you know, what title do they use on Facebook? Um, let's see, it's on Facebook, it's really just Jonathan Taylor, and that Jonathan and is J O N A T H A N Taylor exactly. T A Y L O R. And there's a picture of a diver, I'm in a hard hat, right? Um, kind of an old naval diving hat and it's actually a Russian three bolt uh, that's what it's called and then I'm diving in a cave uh you won't mistake it and it's really easy to find right right and you know the the thing is I, I can imagine that you know when you are diving and you're in that beautiful silence of the water and water is yeah. such a conduit this is a great place when you're diving to release 
and yeah. to receive because uh, the water is an incredible conduit and it is, is such a, a wonderful cleanser. And at the same time, it is a, it's a wonderful nurturer. Uh, so I can imagine diving is a place where you really feel at one with self. You have no idea how right you are. <laughs> uh, diving, especially when I'm alone, mm-hmm. um, when I'm deep inside of a cave, is the single best feeling I have have ever had. I love it. Do you do rescue work, or why do you dive into caves? Or well, caves. Um, I have a passion for cave diving and deep shipwrecks. But right, right now, we're actually doing a body recovery in Westchester County um, at the Tilly Foster Mine. Uh, years ago, a woman named Robin was raped and murdered. She was 17 mm-hmm. years old and they're aware of the perpetrator, but they need proof of death. So we're uh, tasked with her body. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. Um, I'm, I just joined the team. I'm certainly low man on the totem pole. It's being run by a good friend of mine, but, um, you know, shame on me. I was away for a few years. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. There's plenty uh, of time to catch up and show your worth, right? You know, every, you yeah. know, that is your past has created who you are today who you need to concentrate on yeah. is who you are today and who you can be tomorrow not who you used to be <laughs> and you know i mean i could never do it i watched the movie is it the rescue of the 13 the 13 rescue oh yeah 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 okay and sure. it, uh, the amount of filming they did in caves and just the thought of 40 minutes in a cave in water to go and rescue them it was just like oh i such respect for people who can do that, because no, I couldn't ever do that. But, um, you know, it does take a certain type. But yes, I do understand water. I can go to sleep on the water. It is such a, a place where I feel so at peace. It's wonderful. So I can understand that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Continue on with your growth, please. And continue on with your story. It's, you know, it's, um, I love, you know, again, I've I've told many a story here on Self-Discovery Media of people who have, have either faced jail or, or, or life-threatening situations and had to come out of it. And it's who they've become today and the impact that they've had on other people who are either on a similar journey or, you know, somewhat of the same journey uh, and how it can change lives. So just keep doing it, keep doing podcasts, keep sharing it because you own what you did, right? And this, your therapist will find out why you did it in the first place, which is you know, a lot of daddy issues, right? They're there. Sounds like you may know. So, yeah. Uh, but on the other but, hand, it's who you are today, the choice of who you are today, and the growth of your own personal growth of who you can be tomorrow. And that is the most important thing. All I can say is, please do it from a place of self-love. Because when you do it from a place of self-love, you do everything you do with love. And that is really the the cure, the core, the generator of life altogether. So stay in heart, trust your heart, and say the right words that energize you forward, not backwards, okay? Fair enough. Thanks so much for sharing today. And it's John Taylor on Facebook, on on the the show page, selfdiscoverymedia.com, put in Jonathan uh, Taylor. You will see his whole show there with LinkedIn and everything else. And also he's written a great deal there about the journey so you can actually read more about it. We all make mistakes. We all, you know, sometimes we can get away with it wherever, oh my God, that was heavy. It could have cost me more. And in his case, it was the cosmic two by four. But the lesson that he's learned, the who he's become today, the journey that he's on now, it was basically the gift of the wrong decision. And that's sometimes what we have to look at. 
why did it happen to me? You know, why me? And it's like, well, why not? This is uh, what do you need to learn from this and who do you need to become because of it? So thank you for being open and honest and sharing your journey and um, helping anybody else that's facing that same situation right now. Well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate everything. Um, you've actually really been a tremendous help. My pleasure. I appreciate it. Oh, appreciate you too. Until next time, folks, don't be hard on yourselves. Remember, <laughs> come from a place of love and you will find your way forward. Until next time, bye for now.